for Redemption Kids. And I would like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's life-giving word to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll be in chapter 5 today. Uh, as you turn there, let me welcome our guest. Hopefully, uh, you were not only greeted by our connections team when you made your way in, but you received a, uh, a gift bag uh, with a token of our appreciation for you joining us. We would love to get to know you. So if you didn't fill out uh, a physical connect card, we would love for you to go to our church app and fill out that digital connect card so that we can get to know you. And thank you for joining us here this morning. Well, uh, we're continuing our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've titled this series, Church on Fire. And we've called it that because the Thessalonians, while they were not a perfect church by any stretch, by the way, there's no such thing as a perfect church, but they weren't a perfect church, but they were a church that though young in their faith, remained on fire for Jesus. They were living out, practicing faith, hope, and love. They were loving one another, encouraging one another, uh, staying firm in their faith and commitment to Jesus. And they had questions about how they were to continue living out their faith. And the Apostle Paul addresses some of these in chapter 5. And as we're going to see, he juxtaposes the idea, the metaphor of living either a fully awake life or one that is rather sleepy. And I don't know about you, but I've gotten to the point in my life, especially these days where I enjoy a good night's sleep. Anyone else there? Can I get an amen? I've seen a lot of hands go up around the room, a lot of amens I'm hearing uh, with my ears. And, and listen, you know, when I was young, I have to confess, like young, I mean, when I was younger, that's right. Uh, when I was younger, like maybe early 20s in grad school, you know, I have to admit, there was pride in my heart because I would stay up till 2 a.m., 3 a.m., studying, writing papers. I would get up at 6 a.m., and I would have all of the energy in the world for maybe another day or two. But, but I was like, I don't need sleep. And, but over time, God has his way of humbling us, right? And it's like sleep is a gift. Sleep is one of the most important pieces of our physical health, not only eating right, but sleeping well and exercising. It all goes to our physical health. And there are some people out there, like my parents, by the way, who seem to live on very little sleep and be just fine. But for most of us, that is not the case. And scientists would tell us that there are four stages of sleep. Stage one begins right when you go to sleep, moving to stage two where your body temperature drops and your heart rate begins to slow down and your brain begins to produce what are called sleep spindles. And you ask me what that is, I have no clue. But your brain begins to produce sleep spindles and you move to stage three where then your muscles relax and your blood pressure and your breathing rate drop. And this is where your deep sleep occurs till finally you get to REM sleep. This is rapid eye movement where you're beginning to have vivid dreams possibly as you're sleeping. And then scientists tell us that this, this cycle repeats itself multiple times through the night. We spend about 50% of the time in lighter sleep and 50% of the time in deeper sleep with 25% of that being this REM stage of sleep on a good night. And we understand at this point in our lives that we need deep sleep. We need to be well rested so that the next day 
we feel fully alive, fully energized. And this metaphor of sleep, living fully alive, fully energized, gives us a picture of how God wants us to live our spiritual lives. Paul talks here in 1 Thessalonians 5, and he says, look, you don't want to live your Christian life as one who is sleeping or sleepwalking, who hasn't slept but a few hours in the past few nights. No, you want to live your Christian life as one who is fully awake, fully alive. And I don't know about you, but I, I know my own story. And there are times and periods and seasons in my walk with Jesus where I have spiritually been sleepwalking through my Christian life, where, where my, my commitment to Jesus is more casual and convenient. I'll follow you when it works out well for me. I will live with an urgency and a passion maybe 10 to 20% of the time, but eh, the other time I'm kind of good with where I am. And what, what Paul is saying here is God wants us to experience a life fully alive, fully awake. Irenaeus, in, in the early centuries of the church, said this, the glory of God is a person fully alive. A person who is living with a vibrancy and an energy and a passion and a devotion and a Christ-like commitment that says, God, every single day, oh, not just on Sundays, amen? Every single day, my life is yours. I'm giving myself to you again and again and again. I'm taking off my cross daily so that I can follow Jesus with everything I've got. And this is what we see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, as Paul talks about the return of Christ, the day of the Lord that is coming. Listen to what he says. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves know you are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another 
and build one another up just as you are doing. To summarize what this text is communicating, it helps us see following Jesus means living fully awake. Following Jesus means living fully awake, fully alive. This is what God, listen, please, I'm going to just start preaching here on the intro. This is God, what, what he wants for you. This is what he, listen, dare I say, this is what God expects in your life. If you find yourself these days, and listen, with a group of people that are in various stages of their spiritual journey, maybe some even wondering what it even means to follow Jesus, much less have have started and have stumbled and fallen and found, found themselves a little more casual than they used to. Listen, I understand that some of you may be here and you may feel a little sleepy in your faith. And I'm not here to belittle you or to demean where you are, but no, not at all, because I've been there too. We've all been there. I'm here to, as the text says, to encourage us to experience all God wants for us as we follow him day by day. So I want to give you, listen, three beliefs, okay? I'm going to give you three belief statements that if you truly believe these, if you're convinced of these down deep in your soul, okay, they are going to fuel a kind of life that is fully awake, fully alive as you follow Jesus. And then we'll get to some practical implications out of these beliefs that are right here as we study verses 1 through 11. So the first first belief is this, okay? Jesus will come back with sudden judgment. Jesus will come back with sudden judgment. I don't know if that's already making you feel a little more awake, but this is the reality. Jesus ascended into heaven, and he promised to return. And Paul is now addressing, he, he already spoke of this at the end of chapter four, and now he's getting to this idea of the timing and the nature of Jesus' return. And he says, now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you don't, you don't need anyone to write about that. And what Jesus is doing here, he's echoing what Jesus says in Acts chapter one, when the disciples ask him just before he ascends, Jesus, is this the time? Is this the moment when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, you're going to deliver your people and you're going to make all things new, all things right. Justice will be back in its complete form. And Jesus says what? It's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. Jesus is saying it's it's not for us to be concerned with the exact time, but we need to stay ready for his return. And we see throughout the gospels and, and throughout the letters that Jesus is coming, but we don't know when. Can you can you say that with me? Jesus is coming. That was decent but not great. Jesus is coming. But we don't know when. All right, now just hang on to that because back in 1844, there was a man named William Miller who lived in the great region of New England. And he started what really amounted to be a sect of historic Christianity where he started telling those in his church and those who were following his teachings that Jesus 
was going to return in October of 1844. (laughs) And not only did he tell them that Jesus was coming back on a specific date, but they so much believed William Miller that they began to sell everything they had and even got what they called, check this out, white ascension robes. And they, they believed this so much that they climbed trees and climbed mountains so as to be the first that would ascend to meet Jesus in the air. Say it with me. Jesus is coming. But we don't know when. Shortly after we moved to Boston, I started seeing these bumper stickers around town put on light poles and on the back of cars. And it said this. We can know Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. This was espoused by the teaching of Harold Camping, who started a campaign, campaign that said, we can know, we can know.com. It's probably not there anymore, but we can know.com. Judgment Day, May 21st, 2011. Say it with me. Jesus is coming back, but we don't know when. That's right. No one knows. Jesus said this. He said this in Matthew chapter 24, verses 42 to 44. Listen, therefore, stay awake. There it is. Stay awake. Thank you, Nancy. For you do not know, listen, you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming in an hour you do not expect. And this is exactly what Paul says in verse two. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The day of the Lord and the return of Christ are synonymous in scripture. The day of the Lord was prophesied in the Old Testament to refer to a day when God will vindicate the righteous and execute impartial judgment. And then in the New Testament, sometimes you wonder, like, how much does the Bible say that Jesus, the Son of God, is truly God? Well, we see all kinds of examples very explicitly, but here's another one. The day of the Lord, Yahweh, is attributed to Jesus over a dozen times in the New Testament. We find phrases like the day of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Peter 3. It's called the day of Christ in Philippians 1 and 2. The day of Jesus Christ in Philippians 1. The day of our Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. The day of our Lord Jesus in 1 Corinthians 1. And where the context is sufficient, it's sometimes referred to as simply the day, Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 3, Hebrews 10, or that day, 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And what we find is that on that day, every action, every thought, every sinful desire we chase after, it's all going to be exposed before our God and we will give an account for our lives. This is the moment when God will judge everything that is wrong and he will bring his justice, which is making wrong things right. 
But not only that, this day of the Lord is not just for judgment, but it is for salvation and renewal. Because Jesus, when he comes back, is not only going to bring justice, making wrong things right, but he's going to bring renewal, which is making all things new. Everything our hearts long for, the way we want our world to be, Jesus is coming back and Jesus is bringing perfection to a new heavens and a new earth. And so listen, the the most important question is not when will Jesus return? The most important question is, are we ready when he returns? Because the text is so clear. The the reality is in Paul's day, and we, we know this, in our day, most people live as though Jesus isn't coming back. This is what Paul gets at in, in verse three. He says, for, for, for people are saying there is peace and security. In other words, they're saying, hey, everything's good. There's no, gonna be no consequences for the way we live our lives. You do you. Don't worry about it. And this, this slogan, there is peace and security, was probably Paul taking a little dig at the Roman Empire, one of their slogans, there is peace and security. It was a way to communicate comfort to their people that Roman rule spread throughout much of the world in that time that that no one could threaten Roman rule. And of course, history proves otherwise, which reminds us even as those who live in America, listen, it's not in a government or a political system that we find ultimate peace and security because true peace and forever security only resides in the hand of Christ. These words also echo, more importantly than a Roman slogan, these words echo Jeremiah 6, 6, where the, 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 the land of Israel was turning away from God. They were doing their own thing. And there were so many false prophets around saying, peace, peace, peace. Everything is going to be fine. God is not going to bring his discipline and judgment on us. And Jeremiah was saying to the contrary. So we need to be ready. We need to be prepared. This this picture in verse 3, it shows a picture of people unprepared. As, as if we haven't read the forecast. You know, it's like, we live in New England, we get all four seasons, right? We get even this time of year, a little before, you know, it's like 40 in the morning, 75 in the afternoon. But, but can you imagine in the dead of summer that people aren't paying attention to the forecast, acting as if it's wintertime and they step out in their snowsuit in 90 degree heat, right? It's not gonna last very long. And this is the kind of backwards thinking of the world in terms of the coming of Christ and the coming judgment. Paul says the judgment will be so sudden, it will be so inescapable, it will be so intense that he likens it to a woman in labor. It's going to be that kind of suddenness and that kind of inescapability to the pain. 
And I, and I don't say that without compassion for our, some of our very pregnant women in the place today, but just to prepare some of the, the dads out there, um, I suppose your wife wants you in the labor and delivery room. If not, that's cool. That's between you two. But I know Marsha wanted me in the room. And so uh, I can remember those moments unlike anything I've ever experienced before where the contractions start to intensify. And Marsha's like, where's the doctor? Give me that epidural. I don't care. I need some help here. But, but, but. In those moments, as they're intensifying and the doctors are trying to wait for the perfect timing of the epidural and all this because they don't know how everything's going to go, I remember I start praying and I'm praying that God would give me grace for the moment. And then I would pray for Marcia, you know. And, 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 then, and then as she's starting to, to, to breathe and to push, I, I forget how I'm supposed to be helping her and coaching her, but I start breathing like she's breathing and even like, sort of like I'm not pregnant here but I'm like so caught up in the moment with Marsha it's intense it's 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 inevitable and brothers let me just give you a, a word of encouragement I have two rules for when your wife goes into labor okay number one do whatever she says do what uh, women amen Amen. Randall, I hope you're listening. John, I hope you guys, uh, Stefan, I hope you're listening. And then number two, do not take a wrong turn when you're driving to the hospital. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. There's, not that that happened, but I'm just saying. So. Anyway, um, what, what's, what's the point here? What's the point? There's not going to be time. Listen, listen. There's not going to be time when Jesus returns or you come to the end of your days, the end of your life, whenever that is, you don't know when that's gonna be. There's not going to be time to evaluate. There's not going to be time to analyze and consider, is Jesus God's solution to the problem of our world and the problem of the human heart? There's not going to be time to consider, is heaven and hell real? So many of my friends, so many of your friends, perhaps this is you today, live with the false assumption, I'll deal with that next year. I'll figure out where I stand with God next year. I'll consider if Jesus really rose from the dead next year. And next year becomes the one after that, after that, after that. And all of a sudden, their life has passed and they are unprepared. Friends, if that's you today, I plead with you. Maybe what you need more than anything is to make a sudden decision. Sudden judgment is coming. Maybe you need to see God loves you more than you can imagine. That in spite of you turning away from him and doing you, God sent his one and only son to rescue you from your foolishness and selfish path so that if you would look to him and what he has done for you in his life, death, and resurrection, through faith in Christ, you can receive abundant life now and eternal life with God forever. 
And you can experience what verse 9 talks about when it says we can obtain salvation, that we won't face the wrath of God, God's just judgment against everything that assails his glory and attacks the good of his people, but you will experience salvation and life through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so listen, if that's you, call on, call on Christ today. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. I want to commit my life f- to live for you. And you will be ready to face the judgment when he returns. So we first believe, listen, Jesus will come back with sudden judgment. But then number two, the second belief that we want to hold on to is this. I am light fully equipped to live fully awake. I am light. If you follow Jesus, this is a belief, a conviction that you need to carry on the daily. I am light, fully equipped to live fully awake. What Paul does here in verses five through eight is he presents two ways to live. He says, we, we can either live as those who are living in darkness, or we can live as those who live in the light. Darkness represents that which is evil, that which is false, that which ultimately destroys us and leads to death. Look at, look at what he says here in verse 5. For you are all children of light, children of the day. That's where we want to be in Christ. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Think about how you feel when you walk down the street of maybe downtown Boston in the middle of the day with the sun shining and the cool breeze hitting you and it's, you know, 78 degrees, everything's feeling good and you just, you feel amazing. But but think about that same scenario at 2 a.m. in the morning. No one's around It's completely, I mean, there are no street lights. They're just darkness. It's a different feeling. I was reading a a horrifying testimony this week of a woman who was abused and then trafficked into the porn industry. She describes her experience like this. If you want to know what it's really like, Go sit in a dark closet for five minutes and see how it feels. Have you ever done this? Have you like maybe like our experience probably is we play hide and seek. (laughs) We sit in a dark closet and it feels kind of eerie. It feels kind of it's it's metaphorically dark as even as it's physically dark. And you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that dark closet very long. She says. 
Go sit in a dark closet for five minutes and see how it feels. Then imagine being kept there for years. What, what she's saying is darkness, it sucks the life out of us. Darkness disorients us. Darkness brings a, a heaviness and a weight that brings us down and keeps us down. And thank God Jesus came to deliver us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his light. Amen? I mean, Paul says we shouldn't be surprised that people who belong to the darkness do dark things in the dark. This is, this is what he's saying in verse 7. It's not figurative, but it's, as some have said, factual. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. And, and I don't want to miss this opportunity to say, how many times, listen, how many times have you done something foolish at night simply because you stayed up too late? My, my assumption is that's 100% of us. Sometimes the most Christ-like thing you can do, that I can do, is go to bed. Satan loves to operate in the shadows. Satan loves to operate in the dark, right? We, we do dark things in the dark because we don't want everyone to know we're doing dark things which should tell us that there is a God who sees it all. There is a right and wrong. There is a better way to live than others. And Christ is inviting us into that. You see, once you follow Jesus, you are no longer children of darkness, but you are children of light, children of the day. Let me explain how this works theologically, okay? 1 John 1.5 says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And then Jesus shows up and he says, by the way, when he says, I am seven times, he is echoing Exodus 3.14 where God reveals himself as what? Oh, come on, fam. I know you, many of you know your Bibles better than that. God reveals himself in Exodus 3.14 as what the? I am. You got it. Yahweh, I am. And so Jesus to come on the scene and say, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. He is saying, I am God. I am God. I am God. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. But then he goes crazy to us, at least to me. I'm not calling Jesus crazy. I'm just saying it's crazy to me, all right? And in Matthew chapter 5, he looks at his disciples who were learning the ways of his kingdom, and they're committing to follow Jesus. And he says, this is what it means to follow me. Now, you are light. You are the light of the world. And and. How does that happen? It happens because, listen, we get lit up with his light. 
His light now lives. When we look to Jesus, when we trust in Jesus, we receive his light, which is to say we receive his truth. We receive his life. And now we are walking in his ways as children of light. I love the language here. It says that we are children of the light. We are children of the day. The the, the little phrase of the, it's saying we belong to the light that we participate in the light. When people think about us, they associate us with that light. And in the phrase children of the day, it's interesting. Sometimes Paul gets a little potentially confusing or complicated because if we're not really paying attention to what he's saying, we, he's already talked about the day of the Lord and he's talking about an event when Jesus returns. But now when he says we are children of the day, he's not talking about the day of the Lord. He's talking about this new day, this new, not an event, but an era, a time period, the era of salvation, the age of the spirit, the time when Jesus has returned and he's brought his kingdom to bear through his resurrection. And it is not fully here, but it is already present. And one day he will return and bring it fully and completely Paul's saying, look, you're, you're a child of the day. You're a child of the light. And because of this, then he gets into verse eight and he says what? But since we belong to the day, since you belong to this day of salvation, since you belong to the new era of Jesus reigning as king, bringing his kingdom to bear, where the sick are healed, where the, the depressed are healed in his name and lifted up with hope, He says, this is how you should live. You should be sober. You should be clear-minded. You should think thoughts like God's thoughts, having the mind of Christ. And then he says this, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. What is Paul saying? He's saying, you are light, so live like it. You are light, Now live consistent with the light that is in you. And how do we do it? We put on our armor. This is is the, 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 the action that flows from this belief that we are light, fully equipped to live fully awake kind of lives. We put on our armor. We're living on guard. We're clear headed. We're reflecting all that reveals the character of God and we're setting aside everything that resembles the kingdom of darkness. And let's think about this practically. A breastplate and a helmet were the two primary pieces of a Roman soldier's armor that were defensive in nature. So so think about this very practically, all right? Just a little deeper. For you to push aside the ways of the darkness and to put on that which is full of light to defend yourself against the ways of darkness, against sin and temptation, what we need is faith and hope to say, Jesus You are better, and I am going to continue to trust that you are better, even though this looks really good for the moment. That there is something better coming, that there is is a new heavens and a new earth, and my citizenship, yes, it may physically be here on this earth, but my true citizenship forever 
resides in heaven. And that's my hope. And I'm going to hang on to that hope. And I'm going to say no to everything that resembles the kingdom of darkness so that I can live as a child of light. And this helmet of salvation, it protects us from a from any mortal injury. I mean, no one, nothing can take our salvation, the life of Christ from within us. We are protected by Jesus himself. And so if you're familiar with the New Testament, you probably hear an echo, a shorter description of what Paul describes in Ephesians 6 when he talks about putting on the full armor of God. There he says we need to put on the full armor of God, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the gospel shoes of peace. And this is how we live every day fighting. This is a daily task to put on our armor, faith and the word of God and the truth and righteousness and peace that comes from the gospel. But did you know that Paul, when he's writing in Ephesians chapter 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5 here, he, Paul knew the Bible really well. He knew the Old Testament really well. So what he's doing is echoing Isaiah 59 that gives a picture of the coming Messiah. And it says that when the Messiah comes, he will be clothed with vengeance and zeal, wearing righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation. To put on the armor of God is to put on nothing less than the armor of Christ that helps us live the Christ life day by day by day. And so to live for Christ is to understand that we are in a fight. Sometimes we shy away from quote unquote militant language and listen, the kingdom of Christ is not one that takes territories and lands by force. That's not the kingdom of Christ. But the kingdom of Christ describes a spiritual battle where we have an enemy that is going to attack us day by day. And and we have to decide if we're going to be ready and prepared or we're going to allow ourselves to be vulnerable to his attacks. Romans 8.13 says that, that if by the spirit we put to death the misdeeds of the body, we'll live, we'll, we'll live the life that God intended for us, fully awake, fully alive as we follow Jesus. So we remind ourselves, listen, we are light in the Lord. We are fully equipped to live fully awake kind of lives. And then finally, listen, Jesus died. Jesus died that we might live fully awake to his life. Look at verses 9 through 11 with me one more time. It says this, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, now he uses the metaphor of sleep to refer to those who have died in Christ, not those who are living sleepy lives. Whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Paul gives us the reality for both our future and our present if we are in Christ. 
If we follow Jesus, listen, salvation is the reality, and it's not just for our future, but it's also for our present. The word salvation refers to all of the blessings that come when we step into the life of Christ and we experience redemption, rescue, and adoption as sons and daughters of God. And and how can we know that it's both future and present? Well, we see it right here in the text. Look at verse nine. It says, for God has not destined us. our, Our destiny, where we are going, is not one where we are going to experience wrath because Jesus took God's wrath on himself on the cross so that we don't have to experience his wrath. But now, rather than experiencing wrath, we get to obtain salvation that is coming. We will be with Jesus forever. But it's not, listen, it's not just future. It's also present, and we see that in verse 10. Why? Because it says Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake, living life right now, or asleep, died in Christ, already met met Jesus in heaven, it says we live with him. F.F. Bruce says this, this statement then, that Christ died for us in order that we might live with him is the most explicit statement in the Thessalonian letters of the saving purpose of the death of Christ. And so, so ask yourself, why did Jesus die for me? Why does Jesus offer me this gift of salvation? Is it, is it so that I can have just like a happy life? Is it so that I can have some peace when I didn't used to have peace? I mean, those are certainly benefits of the gospel. The gospel brings immense joy. The, the gospel brings incredible minds, surpassing understanding peace. But ultimately, listen, ultimately, Jesus died and brings us salvation so that we can experience life with him. And this is not just in the future. Yes, what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. But what makes life worth living now is the presence of God. The greatest gift God has ever given you is the gift of himself. So to follow Jesus is to experience the abundant life that comes as you, listen, walk side by side, hand in hand with your best friend, Jesus Christ. I want to ask you today, is that your experience? Are you living that kind of life, a life together with him? Colossians chapter three talks about this in verse one. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is, uh, when Christ, verse four, who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. This is the, this is the kind of life we're invited into. 
we, we live a life hidden in Christ. When people look at us, we are so wa- walking so closely with Jesus that people see the light of Christ shining within us. And so what Paul says is, this is who you are. You are light. Jesus died that we might live with him. And so the response from us then as brothers, as sisters, as family in Christ is to encourage one another, to strengthen one another. Verse 11, check it out. It says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, strengthen one another just as you are doing. And so listen, if, you, if you're in your relationship with God these days, feeling a little sleepy, feeling a little too casual and comfortable, if your devotion to God is characterized by one more of convenience than Christ-like commitment, I want to encourage you, listen, Jesus is coming back. So not only be ready, but stay ready. God has made you light. He has fully equipped you to live fully alive. So live with your armor on. And know that Jesus died, that you might live with him, not just in the future, but right here and now. This is what helps us live as those who reflect the glory of God. Irenaeus said it, the glory of God is a person fully alive. And so my hope and my prayer for us as followers of Jesus, the followers of Jesus known as Redemption Hill, is that we are those who are living fully awake, fully alive. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these moments. God, we ask that you would help us to lean into your truth. God, perhaps for many of us today, this is a a convicting word where we know that so much of the time, whether it's just our our, you know, work life or what's happening in our homes or, you know, our, our calendar uh, would not necessarily uh, show that we are living fully alive, fully awake, experiencing all that you died to bring us. And so God, even now in these moments, we confess, Lord, that we need your grace to help us Stay ready to live with our armor on, to live with you so closely that people see Jesus everywhere we are, Lord, everywhere we are. So God, fill us up with your spirit. Help us to live the Christ life, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.